0: If God is for us, who can be against us? There is a famous saying, and it is variously attributed to a lot of different people, that God plus one makes a majority, or in Frederick Douglass's case, he said it as one and God make a majority. And that's very true, and that probably really appeals to our rugged American individualism. God and I make a majority. The reality is you can take me out of the equation there's still a majority. God makes the majority. And the truth is that though that appeals to our rugged individualism, in most cases, we are not in it alone. We are in it together. It's not just God and me. It is God and us working together, serving together. And as the book of Joshua opened and we looked at it together last week, we saw God lay an enormous challenge before Joshua. The challenge to lead Israel into the land, to take the land. They'd never had a homeland before. The challenge to become a nation. They'd never been a nation. The challenge of conquest of that land. They were not a warrior people. And yet God said to Joshua in that context, I'm with you, I'll be faithful to you, and my word will guide you on to victory. And we might get the idea that, okay, this is Joshua's challenge. He is in it by himself, he's got to lead all the people by himself, and and this is it. But that's not the case at all. Verses 1 through 9 may sound like an individual challenge, but Joshua 10 through chapter 1 verses 10 through 18 show us it's not. And so I invite you to turn there in your Bibles or on your electronic devices as we think about some realities un- that unfold in this text that help us understand better the struggles that are ahead of us in this brand new year. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for in three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Here's what those verses show us. They show us that most of our challenges are not meant to be faced alone. That indeed, when you and I are faced with challenges, there are occasions when it is just God and us. But most of the time, most of the time, obeying God means calling other people to join us in the challenge, in the struggle, in the battle. And so let's think about the story, the verses that we just read a moment ago, because in those verses, verses Joshua passes on the challenge to other people he commands the officers of the people the tribal leaders and he tells them in turn that they are then to command the whole nation and so he's passing on God's command and they are to pass on God's command then to the people as well he's clearly inviting other people to be part of the challenge with him He tells them to prepare provisions. The word simply means food. They are to prepare to cross the Jordan in three days. Now, there's some timeline issues that we wrestle with a little when Joshua says three days. When we get to chapter 2, we're going to see the spies were in the land for three days. So, did they go before he issued this challenge? Or does the the mission of the spies delay the challenge? We, We don't know. What we do know is that God told Joshua go into the land and Joshua without delay is preparing the people to do that. They are to gather food because when they enter the land by chapter 5 we're told the manna stops. So they're responsible for their own provisions. They're also going to be at war so they need provisions to be on the move. It's interesting the same word is used in Exodus chapter 12 when it says that when Israel left Egypt At the Passover, they did not have time to prepare provisions. But now, as they're about to enter the land, they've got the time. And so Joshua says, prepare, get those provisions ready. And and there is no conflict between trusting what God is telling him to do and preparing. In fact, what we see in Joshua is really faith in action. As he tells people, we're going to cross the river get ready. And if it were you or me that were one of the officers, or one of the people the officers communicate that to, there's a question that is echoing in our minds, right? How? How are we going to get across the river? But Joshua doesn't address that. In essence, what he says is, we can move out trusting God's promises God has said we're going to go across the river. God has said get up and prepare. And so we're going to prepare and God is going to provide a way for us to cross over into the land. So as he invites these folks into the challenge, he demonstrates by his own actions that we can move out trusting God's promises. But if we're going to do that, we have to share what God has said to us. And that's what Joshua does. Some of Joshua's words to these leaders echo the very words that God has spoken to Joshua. So he's taking what God said to him, he's passing it on to the leaders who in turn are to pass it on to the people. So what I want you to do is look on the left side of the screen... And I want you to see what God said to Joshua, and then I'm going to read verse 11 again, and you can see how Joshua echoes what God said. So you look at verse 2 on the left side, and let me read verse 11. Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan. It's actually, I don't know why they translated it differently, it's exactly the same phrase. You are to go over this Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. See how he's taking God's promise from verse 2 and he's sharing it with those people. And he says to them, based on God's promises, verse 6, that you will give the land to the people to inherit, you're going to possess it. Twice he uses that word in verse 11, possession and possess. God will keep his promises. We just need to move out. See, most of our challenges are not meant to be faced alone. God is always with us, but very often in those challenges, he wants us to invite others and to lean on others. One of the reasons for what we are doing, one of the reasons for the church, is so that we can understand we're not alone in facing the challenges. That we can gather together with other believers, that we can receive wise counsel, that we can receive encouragement, that we can receive love and support, that we can even receive practical help sometimes financially or in other ways as other members of the church body get connected with us. We need each other. Think about the one another's of the New Testament. They're everywhere. Things like love one another, honor one another, serve one another, encourage one another, accept one another. Because most of our challenges are not meant to be faced alone. The late Dan Rather had a saying that I really like. He said, There's no such thing as your end of the boat is sinking. Think about it for a minute. If you're in the boat, you're in it together, and if it's sinking, we're all sinking. And Joshua is showing by his actions that he understands he's not going to take the land by himself. And he's not even in leadership by himself. He is to step out and bring other people along so that they can be of help to him. The second reality in this story is that unity in facing our challenges is essential. So it's not just that we're connected to people, but that we're rightly connected. That we're working at keeping unity within this group of people for them it's israel for us it's a church and so again we, we, we look at the story behind that point and the story is that there were two and a half tribes that were given land on the transjordan side that is on the side of the jordan where they currently were and they were given that land by moses years beforehand And so Joshua says to those two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, remember, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has given to you and they take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Joshua is alluding back to a time when those two and a half tribes came to Moses in Numbers 32 and said, hey, this land on this side of the Jordan, it's really good for our cattle, for our livestock. We want this land. And Moses is concerned. In, In Numbers 32, he says, Shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? And then as you follow on through chapter 32, what you find is Moses extracting a promise from them. What what Joshua alluded to in the passage we read a moment ago, that they would go into the land with their brothers and together they would fight with them until they had taken the land. Now the question that all of the writers like to debate is were these two and a half tribes wrong to ask for this land on the other side of the Jordan? And a lot of them say, yes, they were wrong, they stopped short. Some commentators I really respect say that. The struggle I have is, if you look at the boundaries of the land that God says belongs to them earlier in chapter 1, this land is part of that. Beyond that, if you notice as we were reading, Joshua talks about the fact that God has given them and Moses this land and that there they will have rest. So I'm not sure I want to say they were wrong. I think they may have been a little short-sighted. Uh, certainly their choice to be on that side of the Jordan River has consequences. It means that there is a real struggle to keep unity among the 12 tribes. And it also meant that they were among the very first, without the Jordan River barrier, to be carried into captivity by the Assyrians many years later. But the real issue that we have to wrestle with, the real struggle when we come to this, is, okay, they made this promise to Moses and Eleazar, the high priest. Moses and Eleazar are both dead. So what are they going to do with the promise? What's going to happen with what Moses asked of them and they said they would do? And it reminds us that unity can be easily derailed if we aren't watchful. We're going to see that later in this book, that unity becomes derailed They had their land. They had houses. Their flocks and their herds are are feeding there in that land. They're, They're beginning to settle down. They could have come up with a lot of excuses why, well, you know, we made that promise then, but circumstances are different now. We made it to Moses. We didn't make it to you. But that's not what happens. Joshua singles them out. And he kind of takes the bull by the horns and he reminds them, remember, he says to them in verse 13, he reminds them of the promises. He works at unity. And it's a good reminder for us because God has blessed Berean Baptist Church over the years with great unity. But we can't take that for granted we have an enemy out there who would love to sow division. We need to be watchful. We need to be on guard. And we need to, to jump in and say, look, we've got to settle this if something arises. That's what Joshua's doing. He takes the challenge straight to these two and a half tribes. And I want you to notice that as he deals with them, he teaches us something else about unity. That unity is nurtured by leaning into God's word that it is our commitment to this word, our commitment to obeying this word that will help our unity to flourish. When Peggy and I ministered in Ohio, we were part of the Ohio Association of Regular Baptist Churches, like we are part of the Michigan Association here. And the Ohio Association, the OARBC, had a a tagline that was there that I really liked. It said, we are bound by the word and to each other. We are bound to obey the Word, but it is also the Word of God that binds us to one another. We're connected by our desire to follow and to obey the Word. And Joshua, back in verses 7 and 8, remember, was commanded to absorb and to obey the Word. And he's been doing that. And the reason I know he's been doing that is because verses 13, 14, and 15 are almost a direct quote From Deuteronomy chapter 3, when Moses is talking to the two and a half tribes, now when Joshua is talking to them, he paraphrases what he knew from the book of the law. Again, I want you to look at the left side of the screen. You're going to be looking at Joshua 1, 14 and 15, while I read from the right side, which is Deuteronomy. I want you to notice how well Joshua knows the word. All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in the cities that I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you. And they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you. And so he takes those words of Scripture, Deuteronomy 3, And he rephrases them and shares them with the two and a half tribes to challenge them to obey God. In fact, in verse 14, when he says, you're going to pass over the Jordan, it's the same word that is used in verse 2 that's translated, go over the Jordan, as he passes God's command on to them. And he demonstrates his confidence in God's command to them. Because he doesn't say, you're going to do this and we'll see if the Lord will give rest to your brothers. He said, you're going to do this until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. As until he gives them the land he is giving them. And then, it's going to happen, then you can go back to what God has given you. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, it occurred to me that, that God didn't need those soldiers from the two and a half tribes he didn't need them to take the land but Israel needed them Israel needed the unity of all of the tribes working together to conquer the land that God had given to them and God doesn't need you and me to accomplish his purposes but he wants us working side by side because we need each other as we serve together in unity. That's the second reality about our challenges in this passage, that unity is essential. If we're going to face these challenges, we need to do it together. I was reading this week in in a file about musk oxen who live especially in very cold, Arctic kinds of regions. Musk oxen have predators, wolves, And so what they do, what God put into them to do, is what you see in this picture. When the wolves come and are threatening attack, they circle up. They put the weak and the sick and the young in the middle of them, and they circle up with their horns facing out to deter any attack. And it works really, really good unless one of them decides, this is too scary, I'm out of here. And if he breaks ranks, then quickly the circle falls apart. And guess what? The young and the sick and the weak get eaten by the wolves. And it's a reminder to us how much we need each other because we live in a dangerous world. And in this world, our faith is going to be challenged. And you young people who are here in high school, in college, even in junior high and elementary school, your faith is going to be challenged. And there will be times when you will struggle with what you really believe. You need then the surrounding of other believers in Christ who can come around you and say, it's okay to ask questions. Let me help you with some of the answers to those questions. Let me encourage you as you wrestle. And in the battle, some of us are going to get wounded And we need to get inside the circle of believers and allow other believers to minister to us and to help us. We need each other in the struggles of life. And that doesn't mean we always agree with each other. And these 12 tribes, as you read their history, they're really different and they don't get along often. But they need each other. And we're all different, but we need each other each other you won't agree with one another on every decision that's made here you won't agree about every event that we do or the way things are done in services or whatever it is but the call is for us all to march out united against the enemy to circle up and to be ready by standing united together in the challenges and when that happens encouragement by those others we're standing united with equips us for the challenges. When we're facing those together, we're united in our cause, we can lift each other up. So think about the story again with me for a minute, because Joshua's just challenged those two and a half tribes to fulfill their promise, and much hangs on the response of those tribes. If they say, yeah, no, we're out of here, what does that do to the unity of the nation? They say, no, we're not going to keep our promise. What does that do to the reputation of Joshua as a leader? How does that impact the invasion that's about to take place? But God had promised Joshua, no one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And in fact, those two and a half tribes don't stand in his way. What they do is pave the way. The others encourage us by committed obedience. It doesn't come out well in English, but in Hebrew, the three phrases I have underlined, the middle phrase uses the word all as well. So all that you've commanded, all the places you tell us to go, and as we have obeyed Moses, in all things we'll obey you. Joshua, we will do what we promised to do. That had to encourage him. Now, there may have been a little bit in the back of his mind when he hears, just as we obeyed Moses, we'll obey you. And he's thinking, yeah, I know how you obeyed Moses at times. But they mean it, and I think he takes it ultimately as encouragement. Joshua may, or Moses may be gone, but Joshua, we're behind you. There's no resentment of him being the new leader in the nation. And the reality is they do what they promise. When we get to chapter 4, we're going to see that they do cross over. 40,000 men of valor go in military formation into the land, and they actually go first into the land. They're the special forces. They're the shock troops. They're the vanguard. And that makes perfect sense because, remember, their wives and children and livestock are on the other side of the river, while the other Israelites all have those folks with them. So they can focus their attention on the battle. And if you run the numbers, because I always used to wonder, okay, what about the folks on the other side of the river? You know, There are still enemies out there. But if you look at the number of soldiers that are in those tribes, they leave some behind to protect them as well, but they fulfill their promise and they fight for the next seven years. Joshua, we will stand beside you if nobody else does. That had to be encouraging. And their commitment's going to cost. It's going to cost them seven years away from home. And we don't get all the details in the book. Maybe they did some kind of rotation where some of them got to go home while others came and fought. I don't know. But it also costs some of them their lives because they're going into battle. And some of those men will fall. They will die in battle. And it's a challenge to us to say just how committed to obedience am I How committed am I to sacrifice? How committed am I to doing what God has called me to do? And I don't simply do it because it's obedience. That's good enough reason. But I do it because I know when I am committed to obedience, it ripples out and encourages other people as they say, wow, he's obeying, they're obeying, they're doing, I can do this as well. They also encourage Joshua and we can encourage others by the fact that we are taking disobedience very seriously they say if somebody rebels and the word that's used there is the same word that's used of Israel turning back at Kadesh Barnea refusing to go into the land if anybody rebels against what you have commanded them Joshua they will be put to death and that may seem a little harsh, but remember, this is wartime. To refuse, to obey, to desert in the face of the enemy is punishable by death. That's how seriously they are committed to obedience. Then notice what they do next and what they teach us next. Others encourage us by reminding us of God's promises. If you're taking notes, if you look at your outline in the bulletin, you will notice that under each of the three major points, the last sub-point, every one of them has to do with the Word of God and the promises of God. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, the Word of God was to be lived out and memorized and obeyed, and Joshua now is focusing on that as he talks to the other people who are engaged with him. Notice, that these tribes repeat God's word to Joshua. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's basically a repetition of verse 5. When God says to Joshua, I will be with you just like I was with Moses. Now these tribes pray that back at Joshua. They pray the word of God back to him. And then they say, only be strong and courageous A phrase we've seen three times from the lips of God to Joshua. Now these two and a half tribes repeat it to Joshua and say, listen to what God has said. Be bold, be courageous. And how do you do that? We saw it last week. By obeying the word of God, Joshua, live out what God has promised you and we are right here with you. The best way, or at least a very important way, of encouraging other people is to use the Word of God, to study it, to know it, to share it, and to challenge others to trust and to obey the Word. Encouragement by others equips us for the challenges that are ahead. Last weekend when Paul Davis, the president of one of our mission agencies, was here, he and I were sitting down and talking and talking about some of the challenges of missions and things, and we were talking about the fact that a lot of missionaries are type A personalities. They are entrepreneurial in spirit. And that is great, but what they struggle with is the fact that they aren't in it alone, that they need a team of other people around them to help them and to encourage them. And as I mentioned with with Katie and Eliud, as they go to Florida, we can kind of be that from a distance, but they need a church there. They need people there who will come around them and on the hard days will stand with them and remind them of the promises of God and will encourage them by their obedience. We need each other. None of us are above it. Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, so we need this gathering, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, the day of Jesus' return, drawing nearer. When you obey God and I watch that, that encourages me. When you share God's promises with other people, that encourages them. So I want to encourage you this week to to send a note, send an email, make a phone call, visit a shut-in, call or contact somebody that you haven't seen at church in a while. Let them know you've missed them. It's a great way to encourage each other. Last Sunday, I was standing out in the lobby, and one of the men in the church walked up to me and said, has anybody told you yet today that they love you? And I thought, well, at least there are two people, my wife and this guy, who love me this morning. (laughs) That was encouraging. Maybe there's somebody else here that needs to hear that from you, that you love them, that you're behind them, you're encouraging them. Because there are challenges ahead of us in this new year. And most of them are not meant to be faced all by ourselves. They're meant to be faced in unity. Striving together to accomplish what God's called us to do. And they're meant to be faced with us encouraging one another so that we're equipped to face those challenges. One of my favorite stories about unity and facing challenges together is the story of Herman Ostry. Herman Ostry had a barn that was built in 1928 in Bruno, Nebraska. But It sat on what became a floodplain, and so he wanted to move it. And so in 1988, it was moved 115 feet, five and one-eighth inches to a new foundation. There had to be an engineer there, to say, five and one eighth inches, right? It was moved. You know how it was moved? By hand. Ostri's son manufactured a network of steel handles inside and outside the barn, and 344 volunteers from 11 different states arrived, and by hand, they lifted and moved that barn 115 feet, five and one-eighth inches, but when you think about that, that nine-ton barn with 344 people carrying it, it amounts to less than 60 pounds apiece that each of them were lifting. None of them could have done it alone. But together, together they could. And folks, we are in it together. Those one another statements in the Bible, one another is not just a nice idea. It is God's design for us to face challenges side by side. So, I want to encourage you get into a church, get into a Sunday school class, into a Bible study, into a small serving group so that you can get to know other people and connect because we need each other in facing the challenges. And encourage others by obeying God yourself, and encourage others by using this Word of God in their lives because one another is not just a nice idea. It's what we're called to do in the challenges of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for the times in my life when I've needed encouragement and rebuke and comfort and love and help, and it's been given through your people. Lord, you are always there, we know that, and you will never leave us, and you always love us. Your Spirit is inside us to encourage us, but you also use people with skin on to carry out your work in our lives. So help us as a church to be unified facing this new year together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.